mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, every community has its spooky and scary legends, and Findlay is no exception. But did you know that our fair city has a more direct connection to America's celebration of Halloween? Also this morning, more than 7 million Americans suffer from dementia, a number that will likely double by the end of the next decade. And for every patient, there are caregivers, usually other family members, for whom it is a shared experience. And as the weather turns colder, the season is heating up with some fantastic shows in the month of November at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Heather Clough will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, October 31st, 2022. In addition to it being Halloween, it is also Books for Treats Day, uh, Carve a Pumpkin Day, National Caramel Apple Day, National Doorbell Day. And I got to think that National Doorbell Day has to do with trick-or-treat and kids ringing the doorbell and, uh, you know, maybe doing some ding-dong ditching (laughs) on a day like today. It is uh, Girl Scout Founders Day and National Increase Your Psychic Powers Day, which, again, I have a feeling that it is not a coincidence that National Increase Your Psychic Powers Day falls on October 31st, Halloween. But uh, in any event, reasons to celebrate today. By the way, speaking of uh, Halloween, kind of an interesting uh, story here on the uh, Newswire. Did you know that vampires apparently do actually exist? Um, although not necessarily in, they don't take the form that you would necessarily think of according to legend. Uh, the vampire community can be seen as an empowering way to live and as a rejection of societal norms. The Lore of New Orleans and the Atlanta Vampire Alliance are two of the largest vampire communities, human vampire communities. That's how they build themselves. So what exactly do they do, you might ask? Well, while some do actually consume blood from consenting donors, uh, that is the exception rather than the rule. I mean... And that's weird. That's very weird. But many say they instead feed off of the energy uh, of others. They feed off of the energy of others. Many human vampires uh, do not seem to turn to dust in the sun. Uh, They have regular day jobs. Um, Let's see here. According to Professor John Edgar Browning... And I'm not sure it says professor, but it doesn't give a credit as to where he is a professor. He says, I would not even call them vampire fans, merely people with a shared history from their adolescence and innate need for blood or energy and a shared need to find others like themselves who are accepting. So the uh, lore of New Orleans. And the Atlanta Vampire Alliance, uh, two of the uh, big human vampire communities in this country. So I just make of that what you will, I guess. Uh, Let's see. Of course, this is the uh, big time of the year for scary movies. 
maybe over the weekend. If you didn't go to a Halloween party, maybe you stayed at home and binge-watched your favorite scary movies. Uh, are you one of those people who like scary movies, or is it uh, is that more something that would give you nightmares, if you would? I I have to admit I I'm not a big fan of scary movies, but I don't they don't necessarily give me nightmares in the traditional, like the like the slasher films and the the gore and the blood and guts uh, movies. Those don't I don't particularly go in for them. But if I were to watch say a Friday the Thirteenth or a Halloween film or something, it wouldn't give me nightmares. The ones that give me nightmares are the the, the truly uh scary the green mile was a film that freaked me out um the sixth sense was a film that initially kind of freaked me out but it ended the way it ended uh kind of settled my nerves i don't know so i don't you know the the slasher films don't do anything for me but they don't give me nightmares anyway the uh, paradox of horror is that some people enjoy watching situations that in real life we would obviously want to avoid. One theory is that the thrill is similar to that of, uh, of a roller coaster, where uh, it's the perception of danger that gets our heart rate going and that we really enjoy. But deep down, we know that we're not really in danger. Deep down, we know that roller coasters are very, very safe. Uh, even though it feels like we're out of control. Same thing with uh, scary movies. Uh, for some, scary movies are a form of stress relief. Um, but other people are somewhat desensitized. Uh, Dr. Rem, uh, Ramnari Boudou says uh, many studies have shown that uh, consistent direct exposure to graphic material, especially among young people, decreases empathy and increases aggression. Uh, so there is that. got to be careful with these things, especially among uh, young people. He says some people completely avoid the genre. People with lower trauma thresholds and people with anxiety less likely to enjoy the gruesome flicks. So, I don't know. Uh, just kind of interesting there. You go for those scary movies. If not, don't feel bad. You're not alone is the message. Uh, So the uh, Powerball jackpot tonight is at $1 billion. Uh, That is just a uh, crazy number. Uh, No grand prize winner on Saturday night. So... That's how much money $1 billion be on the line in tonight's Powerball drawing. What is crazy about that, and this is a uh, story that I happened to see this morning, the lump sum cash option works out to a little more, a little more than $497 million. However, if you had won on Saturday or last week, then that actually that amount actually would have been more. So even though the full powerball jackpot has gone up the lump sum option has gone down over the past week and the reason rising interest rates the lump sum amount is based on the amount that the powerball people would have to invest in order to pay out the full amount over the 30-year time frame and because interest rates are higher 
they don't need to invest as much. So the more interest rates go up, the more the lump sum Powerball jackpot option goes down. So you would have actually, if you're picking the lump sum option, you would actually have been better off to win last week than to win tonight. Of course, at $497 million, you probably don't care one way or the other, but I just thought that was kind of interesting that the uh, jackpot has actually gone down, the, the lump sum option, to $1 billion tonight. And by the way, I saw this uh, kind of interesting in New York. In the state of New York, they do a, uh, uh, like the Ohio Lottery's Cash 5, they draw the five uh, numbers. They do that twice a day um, in New York, the New York Lottery. They call it Take 5. And they uh, draw twice a day. And on Thursday of last week, both the afternoon and evening drawings came up with the same exact numbers. How crazy is that? Here's how crazy that is. Experts say there is a 1 in 330 billion chance of that happening. The numbers 18, 21, 30, 35, and 36 came up for both the uh, afternoon and evening drawings in New York's Take 5. One in 330 billion. While no one won the top prize twice, uh, 52 people won $715 each. Uh, Ahmed Eli of Queens says he knows about uh, four or five people that won on Thursday. He runs a bodega in uh, in Queens, and he said... Uh, Several of his customers won won twice yesterday. So nobody won the big prize, but uh, there were uh, <laughs> several uh, handful of people won something. The same uh, numbers came up both times. That's crazy. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Election season tomorrow is one day from the midterm elections, and it can't come fast enough. I mean, the uh, political ads uh, have just been everywhere. I think everybody's growing weary of them. This is kind of crazy, though, in Kansas. They have a bit of a controversy. The Republican nominee for Attorney General in the state of Kansas, Chris Kobach. Kobach or Kobach? 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 K-O-B-A-C-H. Doesn't matter because it's not a candidate here. But anyway, the uh, nominee for Kansas Attorney General uh, is uh, has an ad taking shots at his opponent's views on capital punishment. And uh, so it is a an ad supporting the death penalty, but <laughs> among the stock footage of um, people being arrested and uh, inmates on death row, they actually interspersed uh, footage of Tiger Woods' DUI arrest. <laughs> Tiger Woods' DUI arrest interspersed in this pro-death penalty political ad. Uh, the uh, Campaign spokesperson for the campaign told uh, reporters that the ad agency is to blame for the error and a new version of the ad was was made to replace it. So <laughs> I don't think he was actually supporting the death penalty for Tiger Woods necessarily. Kind of crazy. 
And this may be the best news, the most significant news you will hear today. We have machines that will wash and dry our clothes, right? We've had those for centuries. But someday, well, not centuries, decades certainly. But someday soon, we may have a robot that can fold your clothes after they come out of the dryer. Isn't that the big thing? That uh, it takes a couple of hours to wash and dry your clothes, and then (laughs) it takes a couple of weeks for you to fold them and put them away. Well, now... Researchers at Carnegie Mellon University's Robotics Institute have invented a uh, tiny sensor embedded in the skin of a robotic hand that has solved a common problem when it comes to delicate materials. Robotic arms can grab and hold things, but they have a tough time with the finer touch because they typically can't feel. However, the scientists say that their reskin technology allows a robotic hand to tell how many layers of fabric it's holding, which is key to folding laundry. (laughs) In release, Dr. Thomas Wang uh, from the robotics lab at the university says, we are exploring how to get robots to feel with this magnetic skin for things that are soft and exploring simple strategies to manipulate cloth that we will need for robots to eventually be able to fold our laundry. I'm thinking to myself, thank goodness that they're working on those very important things. Now, that is uh, technology we can all get behind, isn't it? There you go. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be mostly cloudy today, a chance of a few showers, a high of 68. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 55. The Finley Police Department says two men led officers on a lengthy chase after being caught burglarizing the Best Buy distribution facility. Officers located one of the suspect's vehicles in front of the facility and attempted to pull it over, but it fled to Interstate 75, where it went northbound. Police say the pursuit of the vehicle lasted about 42 miles and ended when the suspects went northbound down a southbound exit ramp from Wales Road leading to I-75 and crashed. Police say the two men were arrested and booked at the Hancock County Jail for felony fleeing and eluding and felony theft. Hancock Public Health and the City Mission of Finley are partnering to help people staying at the City Mission get basic health care without having to go to the emergency room or urgent care centers. Laura Reinhardt is a certified nurse practitioner with the Hancock Public Health's Mobile Health Clinic. So it's a natural partnership to actually bring health care to people who need it most, people who are homeless. So it's a natural partnership between our mobile clinic, the health department, and the city mission to make sure all of those residents have health care. Laura says the mobile clinic will be stopping by the city mission at least one full day a week initially and that the partnership could grow even more after that. Get more details on the website. The state of Ohio has been calling for more poll workers this year and Ohioans have answered the bell. The state said more than 39,000 Ohioans have signed up to be poll workers, which exceeds the goal of more than 35,000. 55 of Ohio's 88 counties have exceeded their goals, and most of the remaining counties need around 30 more poll workers to achieve their goals. ONN's Andrew Kinsey reporting Election Day is coming up a week from Tuesday. Flag City Honor Flight, the Finley-based hub of the National Honor Flight Network, will fly 87 Vietnam War-era veterans and their guardians to Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. This is Flag City Honor Flight's third and final trip of this year, and people are encouraged to attend the Welcome Home celebration at 9.30 Tuesday night in Swanton. Flag City Honor Flight points out that for many of these Vietnam-era veterans, it'll be the first time they've received such a homecoming since their service.
Get more details on the website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, it is Halloween, and our cover story this morning, of course, every community has its spooky and scary legends, and Findlay is certainly no exception with respect to that. But did you know that our fair city actually has a direct connection to America's traditional celebration of Halloween? Joining us this morning is local historian Rob Tong, who is the uh, curator, the uh, admin of uh, Love Findlay History, the uh, Facebook group. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, up until, what, about World War II, uh, Findlay was the home of the American Mask Company. Yeah, that's true. Um, Back in the gas boom days in the 1880s, in late 1884, um, two gentlemen, young men um, from Germany, actually set up in Cincinnati first, but then came to Finley because of the natural gas and the way okay. Finley was promoting. But they had a mask factory here in Finley. And in the 1880s, 1890s, it was the only one in the entire say, yeah, United the States. The only one in the entire United States. Yeah. And all of those masks uh, were made right here. And those are some pretty creepy masks. Yeah, and really, <laughs> the they, made, they made mask masks out of wax. They made paper mache, which was probably their... Their best-selling product. Um, some were just face size, but some were enormous. Yeah, that would actually sit over your head. Um, they had animals and stuff like that. Two-piece costumes, like donkeys and stuff, where you would have two people in with a donkey head. I okay. mean, really cool stuff. Yeah. So. Um, and I would imagine because I mean, this is back in the days before plastics and you know all of that, uh, latex and and that sort of thing. Because they were primarily paper mache a lot of them paper mache right there can't be that many that survive no and and also realizing i hate to say it but just like this morning's little damp out there today and i mean if it gets wet in the rain or whatever yeah Yeah. um, i mean they would disintegrate over the last hundred years so they're actually quite valuable if you find an original today now that being said there are quite a few molds the mask molds are still out there right and i brought one today but uh what the brothers did um, is every time a mold was created, they built a separate little building. And this would have been on West Main Cross, okay. about the 500 block, okay. uh, right by the railroad tracks. But they never threw away any of the molds because mm. just like clothing, a lot of times it was popular in the 20s. It might come back in the 50s. Yeah. So they could reuse those molds, which is awesome. So this was this factory was on Main Cross by the uh, railroad tracks. Correct. What, what would be there now? Um, roughly <laughs> where the West End Tavern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right across the street from the West okay. End Tavern, where the Napa store is, right okay. on that little center so cluster is where it was located. So it was at. kind of the hub of yeah. Halloween. Yeah, I mean, they initially set up in 1885 in a building on Main Street, South Main, but the main, the next year they moved to that location. Okay. Um, And really, if you think about it, an 1880s time frame building, gas boom building, and they stayed in business till the 1950s. How many businesses do you know yeah. in, say, Finley history that stay around for 70, 75 years? Especially that kind of uh, of specialty. Was it was it basically mostly for Halloween, or were there other things? Well, yeah, they... I mean, Mardi Gras was obviously huge. Okay. Um, and yeah. you would think that would be number one, but believe it or not, there was lots of parties 
that took place or maybe presidential elections in like Grover Cleveland and Harrison in the 1880s. They made masks for them. Hmm. They distributed them all over. Interesting. So I mean, like a costume ball would be traditional. Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Huh. And I mean, you're talking back in the 1880s and 1890s. The masks were selling for 10 to 15 cents a piece mm. retail. Yeah. And then as trade competitiveness came around and in, say, like 1912, there was one other plant they were competing against. But foreign trade came in. So they dropped their prices to about five cents a mask. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> I, now, I wonder, uh, what about the burgeoning entertainment industry, like the film industry? Yeah. Uh, did they supply for that as well? Yeah. And, and certainly there was needs all over the United States and or world, mm-hmm. European theater and stuff like that. But yeah, they were not afraid to try anything. Yeah. But they have to concentrate on being in business. So the majority of it would have been costumes, parties, yeah. um, those Halloween. type. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Really interesting and if you stuff. find an original mask, they're usually a little red and white label inside of them that'll say American Mask Factory, Finlay, Ohio. Finlay, Ohio. So, and, and again, the only one for years and years and years. Yes. The only one in the entire country. So when we see the little ghosts and goblins on uh, Trick or Treat, we uh, can say... You know, there's a Finley connection to that. And, and that's truly amazing. I mean, obviously, Halloween's what we socialize with today. We've been very busy. I work at the Great Lakes Toyota Subaru dealership. We had 1,800 kids go through the other day <laughs> for trunk or treat. Yeah. And then I did a Jones Mansion program this week. So I'm, I'm, I'm done with Halloween, but uh, it's a neat little history that Finley has that most people don't know about. Absolutely. It is really fascinating uh, history. Of course, as we mentioned, every community has their spooky and scary legends. It seems like every community that I've ever lived in or visited, they all have the, um, the uh, glowing tombstone in the old graveyard. They've all got the uh, Hatchet Man Road or the Dead Man's Curve. They all have the Crybaby Bridge. These are all like traditional things uh finley of course no exception with respect to uh, spooky stories in yeah and 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 lots of times stories change over the years and that's sort of like that facebook site i have that's called love finley history um a lot of times i'll research a house or maybe a tombstone out in the graveyard mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you start learning stuff you never knew yeah um i try to be politically correct when it comes to if i find a nasty nasty story mm-hmm. um i'll a lot of times try to get a hold of the owners today to say hey did you even know this happened yeah and sometimes they'll say no because it might maybe devalue their product <laughs> or yeah, their sure. house or yeah. whatever yeah but i mean there's some amazing history in this town and i love it what are th- what are the craziest stories i mean and again there are a lot of legends that every community has uh, spooky things that go along with Halloween stories, and many of them are tall tales, but some of them turn out to be true and, right. and have uh, some truth to them. Do you have a favorite? Well, just like the Jones Mansion did the program I helped with this last week um, about the lynching that actually took place um, here in Finlay, the gentleman was hung and killed at the Main Street Bridge location. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably right up there. Yeah. Um, and nobody was ever tried or committed with it, which is another thing that... That was really a, a, an amazing story. He had been accused of attacking his family. Well, he took a hatchet to his kids and his wife. Um, the police came in and uh, um, basically hauled him to jail. Um, 
than a mob of hundreds of people coming in with capes and hoods, broke him out of the jail, drug him down there, and they killed him at the Main Street Bridge. Exactly. And here, the, the short of the whole story is none of the family ended up dying. That's, that's and, really I mean, an that's, interesting uh, it twist is, in that whole thing. Exactly. But really, survive. I don't want to try to create scary stories, but I don't want to forget about the bad ones, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. We should learn and be educated by our past and hopefully not repeat things like that. Oh, absolutely. But uh, it's a, it's an amazing community, and I love the the stories, put yeah. it that way. I, I just I love the American Mask Company uh, story because, again, it's one of those little-known things that, most people don't even know existed any any idea what ultimately was their undoing i mean why they don't survive today i mean the company um, doesn't is not i around. hate to say it but just like a lot of industries modern equipment and machinery mm-hmm. made the human aspect obsolete hmm. Um, so basically, it became to the point where, believe it or not, in the 1880s, 1890s, in their warehouse, they had a half a million masks that 20 wow. to 30 guys had produced. Wow. And I mean, they're moving a lot of product all over the world. Right. But I mean, eventually, when the machine comes in and starts doing it and blows them out of the water, I mean, that's what inevitably caused them to go yeah. out of business. It's it's interesting because obviously there's still a lot of demand for Halloween masks, Halloween costumes, and that kind of thing. And but, if you uh, find some of these originals, even if they've got a little damage on it, when you right. see it and the paintings and they use like horse hair and stuff like that as real hair on them, mm-hmm. I mean, they're really, really cool. Wow. Um, if I had a bigger, like say a showroom to store this, I'd love to have a nice collection of have them. Have you ever encountered an actual mask? I mean, like you said, you brought one of the molds. molds oh, yes. But the, the you, masks are rare. If you find them, I mean, the bigger they get, the harder they are to make them in good condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're getting, I mean, you might pay 50 to $150 for a paper mache mask. But I mean, that's something that very, very few people collect. Um, So you can still find them. You just got to search out for them. That is is crazy. Again, uh, local historian Rob Tong with us uh, this morning talking about Finley's connection to the American Halloween tradition of uh, trick-or-treat and masks and costumes and all of that. And some of those masks are just... Well, Chris, I appreciate you being here, and and I appreciate you being on Love Finley History. We uh, have got a link to the uh, Love Finley History uh, Facebook group where you can learn more about that and all kinds of fascinating history about uh, uh, the city of Findlay and, and our area. Rob, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thank happy you. Halloween. And happy Halloween to you as well. Well, it is a uh, staggering number. More than 7 million Americans suffer from dementia. And that is a number, I think that's staggering, is a number that will likely double by the end of the next decade. And for every patient, there are caregivers, usually other family members for whom it is a shared experience. We are joined in the studio this morning, first of all, by uh, Wendell Quanrud uh, from the uh, Alzheimer's Association, who's mentioned staggering numbers. I mean, and and the idea that this is uh, an issue that is growing exponentially is just amazing to think it is 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 in the last 20 years uh people diagnosed with uh alzheimer's has gone up 145 percent uh when you compare that with uh heart disease that's actually gone down by seven percent so we're going the wrong way our Mm. numbers are going the wrong way and it's not necessarily surprising because our population is aging 
Right. And aging is, is part of it. Uh, there's also other things that do have, uh, there's Lewy body uh, dementia as well. And the Alzheimer's Association, we don't just focus on Alzheimer's. We're actually looking at all dementias and doing research on that. One of the uh, misperceptions about dementia is that it is all Alzheimer's, which is not necessarily the case. Right, right. Um, dementia is the big umbrella, and under that umbrella is Lewy body, um, Alzheimer's. About 80% of dementia is Alzheimer's, though. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, for every one of those patients, which are growing exponentially, there are caregivers, and one such caregiver is uh, also with us this morning, Puck Rowe, who uh, I know a lot of folks uh, know uh, Puck, and and uh, you have that experience of, uh, of being a caregiver, and you know the challenges that go along with that. Yes, Chris, thank you. It, it is, uh, I recall when I first found out that uh, my dear wife, Janet, uh, was diagnosed with early Alzheimer's through uh, MRI, and normally they can't do that until autopsy after death, but mm -hmm. uh, I, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. She was a rock of our family and my rock, and, and such a wonderful person, <clears throat> and we were married 58 years, but uh, once we begin to... Uh, get involved with with the advancement of Alzheimer's it, it was mm -hmm. just everything was so horrible when you get that diagnosis when you hear that word it's obviously a jolt but then the realization settles in that this is going to be a huge challenge that's going to get a greater is going to become a greater challenge over time Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, as soon as she was diagnosed, a lot of things went through my mind. And uh, she was the cook, and she was a housekeeper, and she did everything just fabulous. But uh, then I realized, man, I'm going to have to learn some things to do, mm -hmm. such as cooking, help her with showers, help her with other issues of the family. And uh, one thing I told myself, I was never going to put her in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. However, after four years in the family uh, meeting, we've discovered that it would be more best for her some those are so many layers Wenda, and i know that you deal with those uh on an everyday basis uh making those difficult decisions you know what what does caregiving entail uh over time and you know how is this going to become more and more difficult uh, making those decisions ultimately so yeah and and it does it usually takes about three to four family members to care for someone who has alzheimer's uh, because it becomes a 24-hour job as, as as puck will tell you um you have all sorts of uh, wanderers and all and things like that uh they're they don't have concepts of time um, matter of fact, one of the things that we're going to address at on uh, the event that they're having at St. Andrews on November 12th is they be, learn, they don't communicate anymore. So new ways to communicate with them or they don't understand verbal cues anymore. Um, so there's different ways to communicate. As you mentioned, uh, a an event is coming up on uh, Saturday, November 12th at uh, St. Andrews United Methodist Church uh, called Dementia, Our Shared Experience. And again, as we talk about, uh, this becomes a shared experience, not just for the patient, but okay. for the uh, caregivers who uh, oftentimes are family members. And Puck, you'll be among those uh, family caregivers who will be sharing some of your experiences, some of those stories. Yes, I'll be there. And I'm very appreciative of my daughter who's up in Toledo and she agreed as a daughter of a with a mother with Alzheimer's to share her experiences and uh, you know one thing I'd like to say about Alzheimer's and uh, uh, there's a something about it that when someone is diagnosed with it 
they don't want anyone else to know. And to me, what we experience, the quicker her friends and other people know, the more support they get. Mm-hmm. So to keep it hidden, I'm not sure I would recommend that. The, those are the types of things that you'll be talking about. Uh, yes. I would imagine that one of the first questions, and you know, I'm, I'm sure having talked to uh, others who have similar experiences, one of the first questions you get is, you know, how do I do this? I mean, you know, what, you know, what's what's coming? You know. Well, it, that's a good question, Chris, yeah. because you don't know what's coming, and it's twenty four seven, and you just got to be prepared. And yes, I had to call some other females, for example, to get some advice on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's something that you, you just do, and uh, you know, I, I, there's so many things that you, you you think about. And let me say this about a caregiver and. Sometimes when I share this, I feel guilty, but if you have a family and you're the caregiver for your spouse, whether male or female, mm-hmm. you got to be careful that you don't take your health along with it because then the family has two to take care of. Right, yeah. Um, and and so I guess in, in that part of in this uh, event at uh, St. Andrews be split into two uh, – Parts one uh, with the uh, panel of caregivers sharing their mm-hmm. advice, their firsthand experience, and, and and so on, and then as you mentioned, Wenda, talking about strategies for effective communication because there is that hurdle as well. Right, right. So we're going to be giving a presentation and um, on how to again communicate with people because a lot of times they lo- lose that ability to communicate or to understand those cues, um, and as as Puck will attest. Uh, People ask, you know, what to expect. Every day is different. Mm-hmm. And so um, you don't even really have a good answer for that because there's so many different ways that this is going to present throughout the disease for people. Um, and one of the things, as we're talking about support, is we do have a support group here in Finley. And uh, they do meet out at 50 North. And, um, again, it's so important to not keep this a secret. It's nothing you did. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Right. And your family needs support. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more people around you that know, the safer they can keep you as well. Is it a challenge uh, for caregivers, especially family caregivers, to ask for that that help? It's it's so often with so many things. It's it's a challenge to ask for help. Um, do you, you find know, that that's the case, Chris? That that's uh, true. However, let me say this: I was very fortunate and my wife was, I was able to get a retired nurse. And Marcia Bella is a sweetheart because as she came in and, and give my wife something different to be exposed to, and she loved to go to Deitches, and Marcia would come in and take her to Deitches, and that was a highlight of her life. And mm-hmm. just to have another person to look at and talk to, I think, means a lot. Those, I, I, for every patient, for every case the strategies will be different but that kind of speaks to you know some of these strategies that are out there right 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 as a matter of fact we have multiple programs uh, that people can attend to learn different skills as at the different phases of alzheimer's and then we also do have people locally that will have one-on-one conversations with you know people that are caregivers um, or people that are just diagnosed uh, because it is it's it's devastating and people have a lot of questions and concerns, and they need to start building that support early. Yeah, uh, and and that's the key, uh, mm-hmm. you know, building that support structure and that support system right from the very beginning. Yeah, one thing about Alzheimer's, and I don't know how many people experience this who has Alzheimer's, but the sundowner syndrome is is horrible. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, holes in the floor and people in your home, and you had to address that. And you learn after a while and a few experiences how how to handle that for the best part. But it, it it's a challenge. Yeah. As we mentioned, it is such a, uh, a common. Uh, problem there are so many people who uh, are dealing with this diagnosis and it is a number that is constantly going up the event is dementia our shared experience it is happening at st andrews united methodist church uh, coming up on saturday november 12th beginning at 10 a.m uh, we've got a link up for more information at our webpage. you do need to register in advance uh, for this correct yes so yep. um again you can check out our website for more information on this Chris, I might add, uh, Kathy uh, Davis, who's our associated pastor at St. Andrews, she's going to begin a program for caregivers for the entire community, which is going to be something that's going to be pretty important to some people. Terrific stuff. We can never have too many uh, support right. uh, programs and, and so on. Again, go to goodmornings.net for more information on that uh, event Saturday, November 12th. And again, Wenda Conrud and uh, Puck Rowe, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So, uh, it's Halloween. Believe it or not, uh, residents in Wyandotte, Michigan, that's in eastern Michigan, uh, have been told that trick-or-treating is going to be canceled this year. What? It's, and you'll never believe why. It is the result of a major cockroach infestation in the town. The Wyandotte City Council voted in favor of putting a stop to the Halloween festivities to help prevent roaches from grabbing onto kids' costumes and uh, prevent further roach migration from one part of the city to the other. Wow! That is, uh, I guess that's a sort of a creepy story in the tradition of halloween but a roach infestation leading to trick-or-treat being canceled according to a report in usa today trick-or-treaters could stomp on and kill the roaches but their eggs would survive and thus wyandotte building authority commissioner gregory mayhew said the city is trying to exterminate the roaches but it will take some time and in the meantime trick-or-treat has been canceled Man, that was it. try and explain that to the kids. That's what a bummer. What a bummer that is. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, our dumb criminal of the day is a 17-year-old suspect in Bellevue, Washington that wandered into a Louis Vuitton store and tried to pull off the famous five-finger discount. The kid grabbed a bunch of handbags, roughly $18,000 worth. So what? Three handbags, I think, in Louis Vuitton. That's three would be worth $18,000. It's a very pricey store. Uh, Tried to pilfer roughly $18,000 worth of handbags. He grabbed them and tried to make a break for it. Unfortunately, he evidently mistook one of the store's floor-to-ceiling windows as the sliding door and ran straight into it. (laughs) He did not break the window. The only thing he did was knock himself out cold. (laughs) 
when he slumped to the floor, the store's security officer grabbed him. Uh, Bellevue Police Captain Rob Springler uh, called the would-be thief <clears throat> brazen. Uh, the <laughs> the would-be shoplifters. Uh, uh, shoplifting spree ended with a whimper rather than a bang. Um, <laughs> the suspect is believed to be part of a crime ring targeting luxury retail stores, but not the smartest member of the gang. <laughs> Apparently, information on the medical condition of the subject, uh, his arrest, and any charges that may be pending was not available as of press time. Mistook the glass, the glass window as the door ran straight into it. Knocked himself out cold. I love it. Uh, let's see here. Sometimes the uh, criminals are undone, not by their own stupidity, but by the quick thinking of others. For example, in New York City, a man tried to hijack a city bus, which, first of all, if you're going to if you're going to carjack a vehicle, uh, you want to make it something rather inconspicuous, right? I mean, a city bus. What are you going to do with uh, hijacking a city bus? What are you going to do with it after, even if you get away? What are you going to do with a city bus? Anyway, so he tries to hijack a city bus. The bus driver, though, <laughs> before he would let the guy hijack him, uh, let all the passengers out. <laughs> Okay, you can hijack the bus, but let me let the passengers uh, off first. Well, okay. So he lets the passengers off, and then the bus takes off, and the bus driver deliberately crashes the bus, but not before jumping out of the driver's side window himself. The bus then crashed, and the hijacker tried to get away, but uh, he was involved in the crash. And kind of dazed and stunned, and that gave uh, officers a chance to uh, make the arrest. He is now charged <laughs> with a long list of crimes, including reckless endangerment and unlawful imprisonment. <laughs> the bus driver just jumped out the uh, window, and he was fine. Bus crashed. Again, didn't really think through that whole... Uh, mastermind, criminal mastermind plot. You know, that's... Speaking of people who didn't think things fully through, apparently, this is a crazy story from the uh, international file. Um, a painting by a Dutch artist has been hanging upside down in a museum for 75 years. The painting from 1941, entitled New York City One, features a series of interlacing red, yellow, black, and blue lines of tape. It's kind of an abstract uh, painting. And uh, the curator of the museum, Suzanne Meyer Busser, realized the mistake after 75 years while studying the avant-garde artist. However, she says the piece will stay as is. They're not going to turn it right side up because, she says, the adhesive tapes that are holding up the painting are already extremely brittle. And if you were to turn it upside down now, gravity would pull the painting in the opposite direction and it would just fall down. 
And she says, besides that, it is now a part of the work's story that it is hanging upside down. So they're going to leave it as is. <laughs> That's crazy. Just, hey, do you realize, I know this has been hanging there for 75 years. Do you realize it's upside down? I mean, do you, how, how do you make that re- revelation to the other officials of the museum? That's embarrassing. Um, also from the international file, the broken news, a man from Zhejiang, China, by the name of Mr. Liu, has been hospitalized after, after eating a live crab that had bitten his daughter. Uh, the doctor said, I asked my patient, why did you eat a live crab? And he responded, I wanted to take revenge for it biting my daughter. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kwan said Mr. Liu was hospitalized for back pain and parasitic infections. While crab is sometimes served raw after being marinated in alcohol, cooking the crustacean best present prevents these types of ailments. According to the doctor, the Center for Food Safety in Hong Kong recommends against eating raw crab, even as a form of revenge. <laughs> Mr. Liu appears to re- be recovering well, but will require follow-up checkups. <laughs> Why did you eat a live crab? Because it bit my daughter. That's, I guess... It makes about as much sense as anything else. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, definitely something going on in this neighborhood in Wales, and uh, they have actually had to call in the Goat Busters. Not the Ghost Busters, mind you. The Goat Busters. A report in the British newspaper, The Metro, says the the village of Landoon... Landuno, Landuno, it's a Welsh uh, neighborhood. It's been overrun by a herd of Kashmiri mountain goats that moved in during the pandemic lockdown. <laughs> the village has been overrun. The uh, the group of goats has overrun the town by demolishing gardens and causing chaos in grocery store parking lots. The Welsh citizens decided enough was enough. So they created a special task force to deal with these unwanted bullies. Those appointed to the team will handle the goats and try to keep them contained to their native lands. This is the Great Orme Limestone Headland. The goats apparently are the descendants of the Kashmir Mountain goats that Queen Victoria gifted the people of the village nearly a hundred years ago. But even though they were, were a gift from the Queen... This new task force will be working jointly with the National Resources of Wales, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and other local groups to keep the goats at bay. (laughs) The Goat Busters. (laughs) Deal with the goats that overran the town during the pandemic. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Lance with OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. 
Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, we will be for years uh, talking about the ways in which the pandemic impacted American society. And according to a new poll of 2,000 U.S. adults over the age of 30, 71% believe that the pandemic has taught them to be more observant of their health. Two in three, nearly three out of four Americans say the past two years has taught them how important their health really is. Uh, Since the onset of the pandemic in March of 2020, 64% in the survey admit that their physical health was affected. 64% say that their physical health was impacted by the uh, pandemic. Half of the respondents in the survey say that they have gained weight in the past two years. Uh, 52% gained between 9 and 20 pounds. That was the uh, most common uh, range of weight gain in the uh, survey. The uh, survey, by the way, is commissioned by Nutrisystem, conducted by one poll. The study asked people how their health habits and their health goals today compare to a pre-pandemic world. And I thought this was interesting. Prior to March of 2020, some of the common health concerns included weight loss, weight gain, actually, an even number of people. This I thought was interesting. An even number of people said prior to the pandemic, uh, they were most concerned about either losing or gaining weight. Uh, It was 33 percent for both of those stress or burnout cited by 31 percent and mental health cited by 27%. So now uh, stress uh, and burnout uh, take tops on the list with 33% and weight gain is 31%. Uh, Still uh, very popular responses about their uh, biggest health concerns, but it's interesting that that has slightly flipped Heather Close here from the uh, Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. We were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. This is not either of us are our favorite time of the year with the cold weather and all of that. I happen to see this story on the uh, on the Newswire. This is uh, research from scientists at King's College of London says uh, that being around birds can make people happier and boost your mental well-being. And uh, they say that uh, you step outside, you hear the birds uh, singing and all of that. It can provide an uplifting feeling which can last for up to eight hours. And I thought, Perfect timing, because we don't have any birds. That's right. We're cold and unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, I bring it up because, absent the birds singing, we do have some uh, great stuff to uplift your spirits at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. As the weather turns colder, the season really starts to heat up in November. It sure does, and MCPA is nicely heated as well, so you can come in from (laughs) the cold and enjoy the music. (laughs) There is that. Uh, So a lot of things going on in the uh, month of November, uh, 
right out of the gate coming up later this week, uh, Dueling Pianos, which is not at uh, the Marathon Center, but uh, right, at Alexandria. It Alexander's. benefits at Marathon yeah. Center, though. Yeah. So we, we uh, claim it as our own. Yeah. yeah, that takes place at Alexandria's. Mm-hmm. And this year, this month, it's uh, Thursday and Friday, so November 3rd and 4th. Friday sold out, but we still have some tables left for Thursday. Okay. That's all that's always such a fun show. It is. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect my first dueling pianos and it's <laughs> it's fun. Uh by the way, you also they uh, do that in February as well, and you can actually get tickets now for you, that show. You can, yep. And so. that's a Friday and Saturday. That's okay. a little more traditional. So uh you look to uh, get tickets either for Thursday of this week or uh, coming up in uh, February. The next big thing after dueling pianos. Uh, is also coming up uh, this week, and that is Michael W. Smith. Yes, so Thursday and Friday we have two things going on, one at MCPA and one at Alexandria's. So Thursday we have Michael W. Smith. Mm -hmm. Um, We have scattered singles left. So you can come and have a drink with your your concert buddy and then go sit in your seats and then meet up at intermission. <laughs> <laughs> so there are still a handful of tickets that that yeah. has uh, really sold well. And I, I know that is one of those rental shows. It is. Explain what that means uh, for the Marathon Center. Yeah. So what that means is we have a great show at zero risk to us mm-hmm. because the, the either the performer or a promoter is renting the space. Mm-hmm. They pay for everything. Now they get all the profit. So if a show does really well, they do well too. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any risk at all of yeah. losing money. Yeah. So and and clearly that is a uh, terrific show. And it's it it's really cool when a well known artist will come in and and present one of those shows. Yeah, absolutely. I was excited to get him here. How often does that happen? Where you have a uh, rental show like that uh, as opposed to one that you go out and and book right um we try to do it fairly often especially Mm -hmm. with our new programming model so we're offering fewer shows on the main stage Mm -hmm. we try to do it um you know the garth brooks show that was postponed that's a rental show a lot of the tribute shows are rental shows okay so, uh, but uh, Michael W. Smith is coming up on uh, Thursday, and as you mentioned, there are still a handful of tickets left uh, for that. If yep, you and that's not a tribute show. That's the real Michael that W. That is Smith. the real Michael W. Smith, and what a uh, terrific artist. Uh, you've got a couple of uh, other things coming up in the uh, month of November. Where do we go from here yep. after this week? Well, starting on Friday's Art Walk. Okay. And so we have um, local musicians. The bar is open. We have some activities. So that's, the, that's this weekend. We've got like four events in two days. <laughs> um, and then after that, we have um, Sleeping Beauty on November 15th. That's the State Ballet Theater of Ukraine. Mm. They've been here. I think this is their third or fourth time here. Was there some concern? I mean, Ukraine obviously has been very much in the news. They're, so. in, they're in the United States Okay. Now. So, okay. I mean, so yes, but good. no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is, and, and they're just uh, terrific. Uh, Traditional, performers. beautiful ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another rental. So really? ballet is very expensive to to bring into a theater just because there's so many people involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they come every year and rent the space. That is, uh, ter- well, and, and that says something, I think, for the strength of the venue. Absolutely. That, that people love it. The artists love it at that, our venue. Uh, and, and they will come back uh, and, and rent the venue multiple times. Yes. So, uh, again, tickets still available for tickets that. Tickets are available for that Okay. Yeah. Uh, you've got another uh, Live at Arms uh, performance coming up in we mid-November. do. We have Matt Nakoa. Um, that got a little confusing because it was supposed to be Marielle Craft. Okay. And Matt was going to be in December. But then Marielle got an opening gig with a tour. So ah. they switched dates. 
Gotcha. They're both going to be great. You don't want to miss either of them. But Matt will be on the 17th, and then Marielle will be in December. Okay. So uh, what type of music are we talking? What is... Folk, pop. Okay. Um, yeah, all of those shows tend to be like roots music, so blues, bluegrass, Americana, mm-hmm. folk. Clearly uh, acoustic. Yes. Uh, yes. And very intimate because, again, you're the uh, arms uh, uh, venue or the right. arms Right. I always say that my inspiration for that space is the Bluebird in Nashville. Mm. So just a small club. You come. It's very casual, really close to the artist, and mm-hmm. just great music. Yeah. Uh, so that is November 17th. That also on a Thursday. And then the next day, you're back on the main stage with some uh, terrific classic rock groups. Yes. We are kicking off our main stage season finally on the 18th with Rock of the 70s. And that features the Guess Who, Firefall, and Atlanta Rhythm Section, the real bands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some terrific hits uh, from back in the 70s. It's one of those where you, you're like, well, I know who they are. But then you listen to the music and you're like, oh, right. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. that's them too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, tickets are still available. Tickets are available. Um, They're going fast, but we definitely have tickets available. Okay. So uh, November 18th, we want to circle that on your calendar. And then as we uh, head toward the end of the month of November... We start thinking about Christmas, and yes. uh, it is the uh, first of the Christmas shows. It is. November 29th is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer the Musical. That was also selling quickly. And that is a family series uh, show. Folks remember uh, the uh, Charlie Brown uh, yes. musical last year. Yes. This is kind of along the, in it the is. same vein. Yeah, yeah okay. puppets and, and characters mm-hmm. and all our favorites. I, I personally, I'm a, I'm a Bumble fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody remembers uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. Uh, so this will be uh, perfect for all ages. Absolutely. So. Yeah, we have, you know, we have couples coming and we have families coming and everybody in between. There are uh, tickets, uh, obviously tickets still available, but uh, uh, child and adult admission yes. uh, prices yes. on that uh, yep. as well. So it, it, it's a terrific opportunity to uh, to take the kids and expose them to the theater. Absolutely. I mean, often we get kids that come with our Spark series. Um, which is our school day matinee series, mm-hmm. and they don't—they've never seen a live show. They yeah. think it's a screen on stage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they've been watching, growing up watching the special, it'd be really cool for them to see it on stage with live performers. Yeah, uh, and again, uh, right as we're starting to gear up for Christmas uh, again, November 29th is the uh, date for that. Yes, and as we said, tickets are still available. Um, there are uh, some other as. Talk about Christmas, Johnny Mathis, uh, the Christmas show. That one is sold out. It is sold out. We have a waiting list. Um, The waiting list is getting a little long, but I always encourage people to go on it because, you know, the 20 people in front of you might not be available after all. Yeah. Uh, That actually on the 1st of December, but we bring it up because if you want to get on the, uh, the list, you can do that. Um, for more information, folks can buy the uh, tickets online, right? Yes. MCPA.org. Very good. And uh, again, we've got the link up on our webpage for more information about all of those shows really getting busy now as we get into the uh, month of November. That's right. We're gearing up. Pretty exciting stuff. Again, Heather Klo with the uh, Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Heather, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, 7 in 10 Americans are taking an extra job to help make ends meet these days. But could that side hustle get you fired from your real job? 
Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.